like two wrestlers etched around some ancient urn, we'd lace our hands, then wrench each other's wrists back until the muscles ached and the tendons burned. And one brother or the other grunted, Mercy! A game we played so many times, I finally taught my sons, not knowing what it was until too late I'd done. When the oldest rose like my brother's ghost, grappling the little ghost I was at ten, who cried out, Mercy! In my own voice, Mercy! As I watched from deep inside my father's skin. This jewel by poet Patrick Phillips reels in so many ingredients of mercy, born of pain. Mercy is relief from punishment by another, both in the granting and the crying out. For mercy, it is learned, a necessary tempering of our more brutish nature when we seek power and revenge. Mercy comes into play when one has power over another, and because every social relationship entails an exchange of some kind, opportunities for mercy given and mercy taken flow incessantly. The need for mercy is endless. And this constancy makes mercy suitable for May's monthly theme. I hope all of you get the Touchstones newsletter that comes um, in your mailbox electronically. It's a subscription that Hope passes along to give you a variety of viewpoints on the theme. And if you're not getting it, give your email address to our administrator, Maggie Scott. Because after reading this maze, Touchstones, one idea keeps running through my mind. This brain worm is the notion that mercy is hidden. Kirk Lodeman Copeland, a Unitarian Universalist minister and author, says mercy is hidden in our second principle. This principle goes, we, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant, promise to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. The children's version, which I love for being succinct and clearest, reads, We believe that all people should be treated fairly and kindly. So mercy lives between justice and equity, between fairness and kindness. So ever since I read Kirk's idea of mercy being hidden, I've been asking myself, Is mercy hidden here? Or is it missing altogether? This week's headlines have made me wonder if mercy belongs 
at 22-year-old Boston Marathon bomber Zokar Sarnev's sentencing this week. The fact that I have a 24-year-old son influences my searching for mercy there. Does mercy belong in 93-year-old former SS guard Oscar Greening sentencing? I live, love, and work with many in their 80s and 90s. I've heard their regrets. Can mercy be the driver for creatively giving Greening a wider stage to speak publicly? He gained notoriety late in life when he encountered neo-Nazis in Europe and the growing wave of Holocaust deniers. And he felt compelled, he hadn't talked about the Holocaust or his role in it, until he felt compelled to counter their lies. I saw everything. The gas chambers, the cremations, the selection process. One and a half million Jews were murdered in Auschwitz. I was there. So he has much to say about initially thinking of himself as a hard-working, guiltless cog, as an accountant in a large bureaucracy, to now admitting, I ask for forgiveness. I share morally in the guilt. And where does mercy belong in this expanding story of our own of Eric Harris, the 43-year-old African-American shot by 73-year-old Tulsa Reserve Officer Robert Bates. Despite the latest news that Harris may have had drugs in his blood system, do his criminal acts justify his being executed without benefit of our legal system? If you said well, he got what he really deserved about Harris or about 43-year-old Eric Garner in New York City or 12-year-old Tamir Rice with his BB gun at a Cleveland playground or 17-year-old Trayvon Martin, I don't want to live in your world. No matter anyone's color or economic status, I don't want shooting suspects. They're suspects to become normal or permissible. But conversely, do Reserve Officer Robert Bates' stupid and clumsy mistakes also beg for mercy? I think about mercy for all concerned when I read the news stories, the victims, the perpetrators, the families, the police, the court officials, and the public at large. We're diminished when mercy hides. I looked around for mercy when I went to public meetings, then a rally at the courthouse Wednesday, because a group, a diverse group of Tulsa citizens want a grand jury convened to hold government officials accountable and try to interrupt racial profiling and over-policing in our city. The word mercy is not in that petition or in the public statements, but mercy is at the heart of the justice they seek. We swim in this flood of judgments, 
videos from phones and dashboards and closed-circuit TVs are everywhere. Instantaneous conclusions about words and deeds scroll by on my phone, my computer, my laptop, my television set, and my interactions with everyone. Mercy is increasingly hidden because mercy requires time and it requires thoughtfulness and nuance. Mercy is missing in hurry and in the increasing profusion of quick judgments. James Comey, director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, in a speech he gave February called Hard Truths, Law Enforcement and Race, calls our rush to judgments without complete and accurate data ideological thunderbolts. Having weathered last night's storm, I have a clear image of an ideological thunderbolt. With our brains hardwired by evolution to make necessary snap judgments, it's no wonder a counterbalance is critical. Serious religious teachings throughout the ages instruct mercy as a necessary virtue to cultivate. In the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu's ancient instructions for a life well lived reads, the three most important qualities in life are compassion or showing kindness and mercy to others, moderation or knowing what a thing is worth, and modesty or knowing your place in the world. The Tao Te Ching seems to conflate compassion and mercy so I'd like to tease out distinct meanings. Compassion is the mental and emotional effort to understand another's suffering and pain. And this willingness to imagine ourselves in another situation leads to many possible responses. All the variety of ways we can help one another and do. But acting out of compassion in a situation with power unevenly distributed is mercy. Mercy is a form of restraint, of skipping over punishment that otherwise would be deserved and due. To apply mercy, there has to be a power differential, one in need of mercy and one in a position to bestow it. In the courtroom, judges or juries often have leeway in handing down sentences, granting mercy due to circumstances. And when our society presumes all crimes and criminals are the same, we've yanked mercy out of our legal system. When society acts out of imagined fears or cheap fairness to insist on uniform sentencing, we've removed, removed mercy from our laws from our society. So some of you may be thinking talk of mercy in our dangerous world is hopelessly naive. 
There are real criminals doing grave harm. And we dismiss mercy for fear of being soft on crime. And while Shakespeare has Portia pleading for mercy to be applied in The Merchant of Venice, in another play, he names our fear. Nothing emboldens sin as much as mercy. Surely a merciful society ultimately becomes corrupt, anarchy overrun by thugs, greed, and graft. Yet the opposite of mercy is not strictness. The opposite of mercy is cruelty. And the chief reason for being merciful is we all need mercy. We all need leniency and to be cut slack. Give me a break. Give you a break. Mercy is hidden between justice and equity through our shared humanity. We're imperfect. We'll make mistakes. As the French say, to understand is to forgive all. So applying mercy doesn't mean we no longer hold each other accountable for our actions. Mercy instructs how to wisely apply judgment and punishments. Mercy sets aside the blinders of vengeance and revenge, which multiply violence. Just as Some self-help books and groups suggest making gratitude lists increase happiness, a scientifically proven fact, by the way. I wondered what a mercy list might look like. Can I cultivate the virtue mercy by seeing all the ways I've been granted mercy by others? Okay, I found this project harder than making a good old gratitude list. I had to recall the many times I'd been stupid, greedy, self-absorbed, selfish, and cruel. That was unpleasant. (laughs) And unfortunately, it's not as difficult to find examples as I'd like it to be. Yet, not far from those ugly moments is someone, some institution, some group who grants me mercy so I don't suffer the full consequences of my actions. And receiving mercy is like a cold ice sweat coming down the outside of the glass, drink of water on a hot summer day. I am deeply thankful to all who overlooked, and I promise we'll have to overlook more again in the future, my mistakes and cruelties. Mercy received restores hope and self-esteem and inspires me to be more gentle. My self-prescribed exercise keeps me looking more closely for mercy in all my interactions. What could be kinder or more civilized than to pass on the moral debts 
that others incur. I discovered humility lurking within mercy. Mercy requires the honest admission I can never predict the future. Mercy makes room for unforeseen possibilities, for a person to change and ultimately make different choices. Mercy banks on the person in power, the judge, the cop, the parent, the boss, the friend. Mercy banks on them not having a broad or long enough view to predict the outcome of another's actions. We don't know what will happen. So mercy isn't just about the need for leniency. It can also support true justice. When laws are unreasonable and unfair, leniency is necessary, essential. The gathering on the courthouse plaza this week was a cry for mercy in the name of social justice. When a disproportionate part of our population is hunted and killed, when people of color and women are thrown in jail in Oklahoma at disproportionate rates, our very human systems of law and order are at fault. A cry of mercy exposes these inhumane laws and structures. We need the breaks of mercy to slow down the hurry and rushed judgments. Mercy is the gentle weather front that pushes away the building storm clouds racked by ideological thunderbolts. In that speech that FBI Director Comey gave, he describes why mercy needs time to unfold. We must work to really see each other. Perhaps the reason we struggle as a nation is because we've come to see only what we represent at face value instead of who we are. We simply must see the people we serve. But the seeing needs to flow in both directions. Citizens also need to really see the men and women of law enforcement. They need to see what police see through the windshields of their squad cars or as they walk down the street. They need to see the risks and dangers law enforcement officers encounter on a typical late-night shift. They need to understand the difficult and frightening work they do to keep us safe. They need to give them the space and respect to do their work well and properly. May we give mercy in our covenant to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, the time and space they need to do their work. To bring mercy out of hiding and into its proper spotlight, We all have to work. We have work to do, hard work, challenging work, and it takes time. We all need to talk and we all need to listen. Not just about easy things, but about hard things, too. Relationships are hard. Relationships require work. So let's begin that work. Mercy insists we start seeing one another for who and what we really are. 
peace and understanding are worth this effort. May it be so.